This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We're going to jump right into the Sermon on the Mount. And I, and I want you to, um, to just hear me say this up front. Um, this series has been uh, incredible so far. Uh, one, Pastor Wayne did a phenomenal job last week. If you did not hear the sermon, hopefully it's online. I hope it is. If not, hopefully we can get that up there because I, I was blown away by uh, what he was talking about last week and, and how we are the salt and light and what that meant and the perspective that we have. I am really blessed to be a part of this elder team. Um, and one of my close friends and one of our elders, it's his birthday today, Wes Little. Shout out to Wes Little. Don't sing happy birthday, though. I'm just 37, brother. You can't call me old much longer, my friend. You're, you're catching up. He always calls me old, but he's only a year younger than me, so it really doesn't work. Um, maybe all my gray hair or something, or he just, he just likes to call me old. Um, but this is, this is a, a, a joy to be on this elder team with friends and with co-laborers and to see them preach and to see how God's working a, a, a message into us that he's wanting us to live in this culture. That's the thing that's blowing me away. When you look at the world around us and the political driven culture right now and the hotbed of politics that is taking place and all the things that we're seeing and the tensions in our, in our world around us, this could not be a more prophetic message that's being spoken through Jesus himself to his disciples but is echoing into the hearts of, of us as his people today. This Sermon on the Mount series, I, I wish it was strategized better, but I love that it wasn't. I love the fact that we planned this uh, a year ago, not knowing the co context of what it would be happening right now, just believing, man, this is really what God wants to speak to us. Can we say amen to that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to struggle a little bit with this sermon today, and here's, here's the reason why, is because as we speak, uh, as, I, as I preach sermons, uh, there seems to be ones that really hit home, and often those ones that really hit home are far more uh, practical, meaning someone can take something home and practice something, and it becomes far more practical. This sermon today, um, I think is goes below the surface of practical and starts dealing with areas that uh, can make us uncomfortable. Let me give you uh, the best example that I, I can think of at least. Uh, and here, uh, this may show some of my addictions. I, I am addicted, if, if that is possible, to reality TV shows. I absolutely love reality TV shows. I get made fun of often. I, if there's a reality TV show out there and it comes on my channels that I have, I'm probably watching it. Um, and, and most of those reality TV shows have shaped a lot of the culture that we live in because of how TV is now interacted with. Meaning, you don't just watch a show, you judge 
the people who are performing, right? Now you have a vote in whether or not they stay or whether or not they go, and you have a vote in the whole process. You interact with it. So now every time you see someone get up there and perform and sing and uh, juggle or whatever you're watching, you're not just watching it on a sense of going, oh, I like it or I don't. You're saying, I'm going to either get them kicked out or I'm going to. And so everybody's making a judgment call if you're voting, right? Everybody's making a judgment call on whether or not that person's going to. Now, if you watch these shows, this will make sense. If you don't, I'm, I know I'm talking over your head. But uh, a lot of times the judges will say certain things. You'll get somebody go up there. An example would be they'll sing a song. And while they're singing that song, they get done and you're like, that was good right? That was good. It was technically good. But the judges will say something like, hey, you know what? That was good. Um, You sang it well, but you didn't sing it from your soul. You didn't sing it from your heart. Now, you hear that often, and we act like we know what that means. But there could be nothing more frustrating for a technical singer than telling them you need to sing from your heart. And here's the reason why. How do you do that? How do you do that? You take all the classes, you go through all the training, and then they basically tell you, you got to go deeper. That can become extremely frustrating for someone who is so used to being, being, uh, or performing based upon what they have learned based on technique, right? There's nothing more frustrating to that, and here's the reason why. How do you teach somebody to sing from the heart? How do you teach somebody to sing from the soul? How do you teach somebody to go deep into themselves and sing at that place and attach with it in another level than just technique? I guarantee you, none of you in this room could explain how to do it to somebody, but when it happens, you know it happened. You can tell it took place. That happens in all arenas of life. It happens in sports. You'll hear a coach going, now, I've taught you all the basics. Now forget all the basics and play from the heart. Then why did we do all the basics? Why did we learn all the techniques? You see, you see this happening in every area that when somebody plays from the head, it only goes so far. And this is why this could be extremely frustrating as we approach a text like this because Jesus is going to sound like, if you will, some of those judges. And what we're seeing take place is when Jesus shows up into the scene, when he becomes flesh, when God becomes flesh, and in Jesus he comes into this world, Jesus immediately starts doing things that seem to push against the law. Like 
uh, healing on the Sabbath, like, uh, uh, you know, eating while you should be fasting. These kinds of things. Being around sinners, if you will, the tax collectors, and being around people that were unclean, if you will. He was doing things that seemed to go against the law that would make people uncomfortable. He didn't seem to have the same, uh, if you will, in their eyes, respect for the rules. But what ends up happening is we can start to think, well, because that's how he lived, any of the laws or any of the rules are not in place. But what we started to see Jesus do at the beginning of chapter 5 is he's giving a new politic for the kingdom of God, this new kingdom law. So he's on this mountain with his disciples and he's telling them this new politic, this new kingdom law, that it's unlike any other kingdom of this world. And if you went in and heard those sermons and went into your RCs, our RC, really our community, really wrestled with how do you do what Jesus is telling us to do? How do you do the poor in spirit thing? We spent a lot of time talking about the press against all these things that I'm hearing in Scripture go against everything I've been taught everywhere else. And if you really heard it, you felt that same pressure. So you're going to continue to feel that press and you're going to feel the uncomfortableness, if you will, from me uh, in trying to articulate something that I don't even know how to articulate. So hopefully today, with the help of the Spirit, we'll begin to understand the depth of what God has called us into the life that He wants you and me to have. The kind of life that is beyond just not sinning. But the kind of life that is lived out in joy and abundance and from the heart. Let's stand together as we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And the reason why we stand, church, is because we want to remember this is God's word. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For the sake of time and to try to get to a very uh, important point, I want you to hear that this really could flow all the way to the end of the chapter and we could make one point. But we're going to take two weeks and this week and next week I'll be talking about uh, 
I'll be talking about how Jesus makes this statement and then over the next few verses, he begins to illustrate what he means. So I'm going to start pushing into next week, but we'll dive more into it next week, just so you know. I'm going to try to face two questions today. The first question we're going to look, like, look at is, what does it mean that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Christ? What does that mean? Okay, so write that down. What does it mean that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Christ? And we see that in the first verse that he mentions. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come. I have not come to abolish it, but they have been, but to fulfill them. That Christ has come to fulfill them. So first question: What does that mean? Second, what does it mean? And this is the last verse that. Our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So what I'm going to do is try to answer, if we will, these two questions. What does it mean that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Christ, that he's come to fulfill them? And two, what does it mean that our righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Now, I could uh, stand up here and try and articulate this, but I saw a video this week uh, or a couple weeks ago um, from Bible Project. If you haven't seen Bible Project, it's been uh, an incredible resource. Uh, you can go to Bible Project and the website there or Google search it. They got a lot of videos that we've used in services. And I watched this on the law and the prophets and I thought, man, there's no better way to explain this idea of how it's fulfilled in Christ than to just watch this video. So I'm just going to do that rather than try to explain it. Let's watch this video together.
if someone is incredible at music, a musician, and you see them come up here, our band blows me away every time they play. If you see someone who is incredible at music, they can completely play things that are are beautifully orchestrated. They can follow along, even if they haven't even heard the song before. You could see someone go up there and play the song. That, when you see it, is how music is to be played. You know it. You look at that and you say, even if I don't like that style of music, that's how music is to be played. But you would never look at someone who's a musician and see them and say, they're disobeying the laws of music. No. That's not what happens. What happens is, when someone gets to that place where they are playing music, they have fulfilled filled the laws of music and have moved into playing from the heart. They have moved into playing music how it should be played. And not just trying to play chord structures and not just trying to chug away at some song and just trying to get and and when you first start You've got to learn those structures and you've got to play those chords and you've got to try to get the basics. But the reason you're learning those basics and getting those chords and trying to practice and get those down is not so you can stay in that place where you're always trying to learn it. You're wanting to get the heart of music. You're wanting to get the realities of what it is. You're wanting to understand it. You're wanting to know what chord to play and why it's played there. When Jesus says he has fulfilled all of the laws, what he's trying to show his disciples is that by him coming, he's not abolishing all in which he has said throughout the whole story. He's not getting rid of, as we traced through the story with this Bible project, he's not getting rid of all in which he's tried to express. And we're going to see that next week. And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And then he's going to say, but here's the heart of it. You see, in Christ, all the laws and all of which the prophets showed has been fulfilled. Look at Christ in His teachings. He proclaimed perfectly and displayed perfectly the heart of His Father, declaring the heart of His Father in His teachings, in His living. He embodied perfectly someone who knew all of the heart of His Father, who loved His Father, and who could perfectly live those out in the way He served others, in the way He healed others, in the way He gave, in the way He laid and humbled Himself, in the way He confronted. Christ showed us in His living what it looked like to really live out the law. In His death. That he would die for his enemies. That he would take on 
the hardness of our hearts and our sin and our rebellion against God, that he would take it on and show us what love really is. That true love is that he would lay down his life not just for a friend, but for his enemies. In his death, he fulfilled the beauty of the law and the prophets. And then it didn't go on, it didn't just stop there. What we're seeing in Matthew chapter 5 and what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that God fulfilled the law, Jesus fulfilled the law in his disciples. What does that mean? That means he placed the law where the law was supposed to be in the hearts of his people. He fulfilled the law by placing in us new hearts. When you see someone who is addicted to drugs, when you see someone who is broken, when you see someone who is having marriage problems, when you see someone who's committing adultery, when you see someone who's evil and sinful and wicked and his relationships are falling apart, how can that be fixed? Well, if we're honest in this room, many of us are convinced that what they're lacking is another class. What they're really lacking is they don't have understanding. If they could just get educated. Or, my favorite, is they just need heavier accountability and structure. What they need is someone breathing down their neck. And what they need is to be thrown into an institution and be institutionalized. What they really need is that heavy structure and accountability. And then, and then, and then they will change. And this is what our system believes. And this is what our religion believes. Structure, education, accountability. And believe me, it's seeped out of many of your mouths multiple times. Just like... One great theologian says, all of us have an inner Pharisee in us. Where we look at the world's problems and we see all the brokenness in the world and where does our mind immediately go to? We need more education. We need more structure. We need more laws. That's where our minds go. We look at reform and what we believe is that this is what we need. But hear me on this. No matter how much education, no matter how much structure, no matter how much laws, and I'm not having to down those because Jesus is not downing those. You don't have to down any of those things. But what you have to admit is that no matter how much of that have, no matter how much of that you have, unless someone wants it, that stuff doesn't work. you got to be real with that. Unless someone desires it, unless somebody longs for it, and they utilize those things for the benefit of their own heart and lives and transformation, unless someone wants it, it doesn't matter at all. And then that's where we get real frustrated. Well, how do you make someone want it? My goodness. That question alone 
irritates the pragmatist. Because everything has to be rationalized. Have you ever just thought of the law of Christ? What He gave in the first Beatitudes? Be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Merciful. Thirsting and hungering for righteous. Have you ever just thought back? Because I know RRC did. How do you do that? How do you do poor in spirit? How do you do mourning? How do you do being merciful? See, this law in which God is giving here speaks so much to a law that goes into the heart that it sounds a lot different than Moses' law, if you will, where it says, don't create, make idols, don't commit adultery, don't do these. And Jesus is trying to show us that those laws are not necessarily wrong. They just don't get to the heart. Or there's another side. Who is convinced that all we need is our feelings to change? Because what they think of heart is feelings. That's what they think of. When you say heart, they're going, okay, so I need to feel different. And they're waiting for their feelings to change. And they will change, and then they will change back and 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 back. <laughs> right? Feelings. Waiting for feelings to change. I've heard so many people who constantly talk about, I'm just waiting for my heart to change, and then when my heart changes, I'll start doing what's right. And they're just waiting for their feelings because that's what they think of charts. And they're convinced that someday they will just get it and things will change over time, and things will just change. And all of a sudden, they'll know it, they'll understand it, they'll do it, and their feelings will change. And one thing that's very evident for that person is, they are convinced that they should live however they feel and that the laws are gone. There's a whole group of people that take the message of grace and live their lives however they want, thinking that the message of grace gives you freedom to run your own life. But the message of grace doesn't give you freedom to run your own life. It actually elevates what it means to live under the kingship of God by not just following His laws, but by having His heart. That's why I'm saying today that none of these two will ever work for you where you think, if I just set a bunch of structure and accountability and rules, that's really going to help. But the heart must change or if I just wait for my feelings to change and I just wait for that to take place and I don't need the law and I don't need the, the the understanding of his character and those kinds of things but if I don't start to understand that these things that what Christ is doing is coming to fulfill the law and to show us that in him we get to live out not just I don't sin anymore but we get to live out what does it look like to live as a son of God. Let me explain that. Let's look at verse 20. I'm going to move fast, I promise. Verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, can you just 
take yourself out of it for a minute and try to enter into how the original listeners would have heard this because they look at the scribes and Pharisees as the most righteous people ever. They taught it. They knew every one of the laws. They understood it. They could tell you what to follow. They went around making sure everybody was following it. They would make sure if they didn't follow it that they were going to be punished. They were the ones who were supposed to be the model of righteousness. And here's what Jesus is saying in verse 20, which he'll illustrate next week, and we'll, we'll talk about that more. But here's what Jesus is saying in verse 20. you got to exceed their righteousness. Now, in their minds, they're going, now, uh... So wait, Uh, they do all to the letter, all the things that it is. And this is where our competitive minds would start to come in and theirs because immediately you can see why Jesus goes into illustrations because when we think exceed, we think competitive and we think farther and better is what we think. To exceed means we need to do more and we need to do better. That's what we think. That's what they would think. Which would be crazy. Because they knew that no one could do more or better than what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing themselves. Why? Because no one even knew how many laws there were. There's thousands of them. So what does he mean by exceeds? And here's where I want us to get our minds not just in line with farther and better, but what if he meant far more like a judge on a reality show saying deeper? How many of you remember Karate Kid? I'm using a lot of illustrations. Yeah, Daniel wants to learn karate and so he takes him mr miyagi takes him and he goes after he mr miyagi rescues him from getting his tail whooped and he takes him and he's gonna teach him and he says what 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 does he start with y'all remember or you don't remember this what does he what does he start with you do oh yeah sand the floor (laughs) wax on wax off you remember that paint the fence Paint the house. <laughs> right? You remember that? And he gets so angry one night and he starts cussing him out, Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi's walking away and he starts telling him, you're just using me as a, as a what? He says, you're using me as a slave. You're using me as a slave. That's what he tells Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel-san. Wax the floor. And he goes, he tries to get down. You don't remember this, but I, I, I remember it vividly. He, gets, he starts to get down. He goes, no, stand up. And he shows him. And then there's that scene where he goes, paint the fence. And then all of a sudden he goes, now, wax the floor. And then he just kicks and punches. And he's just like just doing all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, everything sinks in. It wasn't slavery. It wasn't slavery. He wasn't just trying to get his cars waxed and his 
floor sanded and his house painted and his face and his fence painted this is not what he was going after what he was going after is that through those motions was leading him to an actual fighting ready freedom that he wouldn't have to think about it this reality it's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to. He's trying to show them, and through these illustrations of coming that, that, are, that are coming in the next verses, is what ends up happening is we start looking at God's law as control rather than covenant. And this is what took his people into this kind of self-righteous mentality as the bet. The band comes, I want us to think of these words. What Jesus is asking his disciples into is covenant, not control. You see, when someone is in marriage, when I think of the word covenant, this is the word, this is the closest thing I can think of. But when somebody is in marriage and they come and sit down with me or any of the counselors, I immediately know that this marriage is in bad shape when this is the first question pastor tell me what i have to do to fix this thing i already know it's gone why because they've moved into a mentality in which all they're missing is a practical step that will fix their marriage all they're missing is just one law. And you can see this in covenant relationship when a husband who's distant and far and, and eyes wandering from his wife and he sits down and his wife is saying, there's problems, there's problems, there's problems. And he immediately goes, well, what am I not doing? What do you mean, what am I not doing? Well, tell me what I need to do because I love you. Just tell me what I need to do. Do I need to buy you more flowers? Do I need to spend more time at home? Do I need to stop watching more TV? All of those things. You see saying, yeah, all those things would be nice, but you don't look at me like you used to. You don't love me. You don't care for me. You don't even want me anymore. And the man in his pragmatic mindset goes, see, this is stupid. How do you do that? When the truth is she's speaking covenant language. Because if it had to do with pragmatics, and if it had to do with you just following the law, you'd try to fix everything. But the reality is, how does buying those flowers and stop watching TV and all of those kinds of things make you love her again? How? I will tell you this. If there is a deep love and affection, you'll figure out whatever it takes, whatever I have to give up, whatever I have to do. But it won't be this sense of control. Many of you look at your covenant relationship, your wife, your husband, those around you, and you look at them trying to control. And the reality is it's not a control issue. It's a covenant thing. And this is what Jesus is calling us into with him in his kingdom. And this is why our, the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of the world. And here's the reason why. The kingdom of God is about covenant and family and not about government and control. Here's what government cares about. 
paying taxes, following laws. I'm a good citizen. That's what they care about. This is what people boast in all the time. I pay my taxes, and I'm a good citizen. Who cares? Good job. That's what the government wants. But that doesn't work for covenant, for kingdom. That's why when you get to the end of this chapter, and we'll talk about it next week, but I don't have a lot of time, but we have to set this up. The last verse of this chapter says this. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. And the religious and the law-based and the control mindset goes, that's impossible. There's no way I can be perfect like God. And we eliminate ourselves from that text and say, well, the reason he's even saying it is because we can't be it. But this is the kind of language that Jesus is using, and here's the reason why. Because sons and slaves are different. Sons and slaves are different. And here's what I mean. When someone's a slave, the master only cares about what the slave does, and they don't care about who the slave is. That's what they care about. When you look at a slave, all you care about is, are they doing what I am telling them to do? But I will tell you this. When it comes to having a son or a child, it's way different. I don't just care about what my kid does. I care about who my kid is. And when you move into parenting where all you care about is what your kid does because they'll embarrass you, or what your kid does because you don't want them to not succeed, or, and you move into it, I'm going to tell you this. You've moved into a whole nother realm. But I will tell you this. A father cares about what his kid does, but he cares about what his kid does for a whole nother reason because he knows that if his kid does that, what it's going to happen is it's going to change who they are. It's going to affect, they're going to live in bondage. And what I care about is not just, hey, did you get good grades in school? What I care about is how are you interacting with your teachers? How are you interacting with other students? Is there anybody that, you know, is there, how's your heart doing? How are you feeling? What are the things that are going on in your life? And we're engaging on a whole different level. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, it's not just being about a good citizen and paying your taxes. In the kingdom of God, it's about being like your father. It's about wanting his heart. Here's my question when we come to a text like this. Because next week, we're really going to wrestle as he starts talking about divorce, as he starts talking about lust, as he starts talking about murder and anger our hearts are going to be exposed but the only way we're going to be able to navigate through it is if we move our minds out of this reality of God wanting to enslave us and us beginning to see that the kingdom of God is all about having our father's hearts let me ask you this question are you just trying to figure out what you need to do to please God and obey him or do you want his heart? Do you want God's heart for your life, for your marriage, for your children, for your community, for your church, for your 
city? Do you want God's heart? And do you want to live and breathe and walk in and walk out? Do you want people to see His heart? Because that's what we're talking about here. What we're really hitting on is starting to live and live out in ways the kingdom of God that are not just by the book, but are beyond that. Exceeding that, deeper than that. Church, that's the question we have to answer today before we even dive into next week. That's the question we have to answer. What do you want? I just want a checklist. What do I need to do to make God happy? Faith. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Be poor in spirit. Well, how do I do that? This text will frustrate those kinds of people. But it's also going to frustrate the kind of person that goes, well, I can just do whatever I want. It will frustrate you too because they don't want God's heart either. Father, I pray today as as we hear this text that our hearts would be overwhelmed by the reality of what this relationship with you really involves, what the kingdom of God is really like that we would be overwhelmed by what you really have for us, that we are sons, not slaves. We are sons and daughters, not slaves. That we are in covenant with you. It's not just about you controlling us. That we get to be in relationship with you. And Lord, what we're asking for today is that we would see that you did not just come and give us laws on a tablet, but you have embodied them perfectly. You fulfilled them all in Christ and that you are the one who has taken upon yourself all of the, the pain and suffering and the rebellion of this world and sin and you have taken it upon yourself and through your body and blood you have allowed us to come into a new covenant with you. And in that covenant, we get to enjoy not just a new list of rules, but we get to have a new heart. Your spirit in us, your, your, your life, your breath, your, your a relationship with you. So church, there's no better way to end today than this covenant renewal ceremony as we come to the table and we grab the body and blood of Jesus and we remember that in this cup what we're remembering is that all of it was fulfilled in Christ and that because of it we have been brought deep into covenant with Him and now we are in right relationship with His, with the Father. That because of the work of Christ we now not only have just a new list of rules, we have a new heart. As we come to this table, let the Spirit of God begin to speak to those deeper places and answer this question. Do I want God's heart? Am I wanting to live these things and these realities out? Because if so, yes, I need to get some practical things and help around. I need to make effort. I need to walk in community. I need to live these things in a way in which the world can see my good works and glorify my Father who's in heaven.
So church, as we take communion, let this be a covenant renewal, a covenant renewal ceremony, convicting our hearts and responding to His. Let's respond. was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.